Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, September 7th, 2017. So now there's another hurricane, Irma. And I am just shaking my head because of some weird, strange irony that's occurring at the beginning of this year's heresy hurricane season. I'll explain in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible. Compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. And I mean, no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, strange how that always works out that way. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that these people are putting forward, it is not actually found in the Bible. It is based upon a twisting of God's word or just straight up the imaginations and machinations of sinful, bizarre minds. That's just the best way I can put it. I know that sounds cruel, and but that's the truth. These are doctrines of demons or doctrines of men. They are not doctrines of God. They are not doctrines that Christians have believed, taught, or confessed over the past 2,000 years of Christian history, and they're clearly not found in Scripture when you read the Bible in context and apply just some basic, basic good hermeneutics and exegesis to a, a biblical text. And as a result of this, people are being deceived. Christians are doing things in the name of God they have n- that they're not taught to do. And when it comes to this hurricane heresy, the um the best way i could put it is that um it, what they're doing what christians are doing what they're saying has caused christianity to become the laughing stock of the world um yeah it's one thing when christians are persecuted for actually believing what scripture says holding the line biblically it's a whole other thing 
when they're believing false doctrines put forward by men who are teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. And Christians, rather than tell that false teacher, you be gone, you get out of here, you stop teaching that, that's not what the Scriptures say, they fall for it. And then if you correct the false teaching and say that's not what the Bible says, they come after you. Yeah, it's just always a fun experience. And that's been, you know, kind of an occupational hazard for me for uh, almost 10 years now uh, as uh, (laughs) fighting for the faith has been on the air. All right, so uh, at the opening of the program, we talked about this strange, bizarre irony, okay? This week, just two days ago, we launched into heresy hurricane season. And that is a phrase I have been using for years to describe the time period from Labor Day to Memorial Day here in the United States. Uh, you know, the chances of, you know, a Category 5 heresy hurricane, a destructive force worse than any winds that the weather systems can cook up uh, by destroying men's souls. That's kind of the idea. And I, I've been having this, you know, discussing this heresy hurricane season for years telling everyone about it you know and you know and uh, we've launched into it but the in the world is now bizarre um and this is just some kind of strange irony that uh, we have to deal with now this year's heresy hurricane season is actually beginning with a heresy about hurricanes <laughs> What is going on? I begin to wonder if this is proof that the uh, the devil listens to fighting for the faith and thinks, you know what? For uh, you know, we're going to make things so absurd and deceive people in this particular way that when Roseboro talks about heresy hurricane season, he's going to actually have to deal with a heresy regarding hurricane. It's just it is bizarre. Okay, so we've got Irma barreling through the Caribbean. And uh, and Cat Kerr and Lance Wilnow, yeah, that's right, Lance Wilnow, the Seven Mountains Mandate NAR guy, have both taken to the interwebs to uh, take authority over, command, and decree and control <clears throat> these uh, this hurricane. And uh, <laughs> at this point. You just sit there and go, are you out of your mind? I mean, really? Okay. So, I mean, I can't say with any certainty what's going to happen, but I can see the weather models on the news or or the Weather Channel website, and uh, this thing looks like it's going to hit the U.S. I mean, it looks like it's going to hit Florida straight up. I mean, <sighs> So uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on that, but we're going to check in with uh, Lance Walnow and Cat Kerr, the uh, the latest hurricane weather warriors. And as we noted on Tuesday's episode, <laughs> the uh, the Copeland family uh, uh, tried to take uh, control and authority over Harvey, uh, public enemy number one, and that failed miserably. How many billions of dollars of damage? Uh, they haven't even calculated what it all is. I mean, seriously, it's going to be a ginormous bill. I mean, I really think that uh, the U.S. government needs to send the bill to Kenneth Copeland mm-hmm. for all the cleanup and the damage done because they failed to uh, take control over Harvey. And uh, 
whatever the price tag's going to be for Irma, I mean, that <clears throat> remains to be seen. Uh, <laughs> I think Lance Walnow and Kat Kerr should, uh, you know, shoulder the burden of uh, paying for all the damages for their failed attempt at uh, taking power over <clears throat> an authority over Irma, but uh, that still has to play out. But we'll so we'll take a look at that. Uh, we're going to check in with another fellow, and, and and this fellow's well known on the internet, Steve Siakalanti, and uh, Discover Ministries. Back in October of 2016, October of 2016. He published a video on YouTube that literally went viral. Over 1.5-1.4 million views on this thing uh, regarding the um, the upcoming <coughs> sign of Revelation 12 that's supposed to appear on the 23rd of September. And uh, you know, listen, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a son of a prophet, but I'm capable of exegesis. And I do read the Bible in Greek, at least the New Testament portion of it. And I can tell you that this whole thing about the upcoming you know, sign in the heavens is just based upon terrible exegesis. And as a result of that, I, you know, I'm predicting nothing's going to happen. In fact, what I know about this sign, since it takes place in the middle of the day, Ain't nobody gonna see it. <laughs> yeah, it's, how could it be a sign if ain't nobody gonna see it? But we'll take a listen to what he's saying, and you're gonna note that uh, Steve Sia Calanti very carefully puts it out there that this might have something to do with the rapture, but he's not setting a date. Uh, it, you know, it, remember when you use the word "but," mm-hmm, but. Uh, when you use the word but, it has a tendency to kind of wipe out what comes before it. So uh, Steve C. Calanti does this. Uh, Scott Clark did it, and uh, I might have to go back and, like, demonstrate how Scott Clark does it, too. Sets it up so that, you know, it's setting a date without setting a date, creating expectation without being really committed to it. I mean, we're not setting dates, but... Um, yeah, so Sia uh, Calanti does that, and as well as Scott Clark has already done that. But anyway, again, worth noting uh, so that uh, when the world doesn't end and Jesus doesn't return, the rapture doesn't happen on September 23rd. Listen, I, you know, I calculated it up. I think I have survived at this point. You know, since starting Fighting for the Faith, I think we've officially survived 12 ends of the world. 12. Yeah, and uh, I'm just thinking that uh, come September 24th, I'll be able to kind of crow that, hey, I survived another one, you know. But, uh, oh, man, this is just so bizarre. So, all right, so we're going to check in with Steve Calanti. Then we are going to get to the uh, James Goal uh, segment that we didn't get to uh, the other day. And um, as we listen to this, I'm going to pull something in from Scripture, do a little bit of teaching on this thing, and the question is going to be is, what history do you feel like you're a part of? And I have to ask the question because I think the real take on the James Gall segment that we're going to be playing is that James Gall is putting forward a false history, a false narrative that he's trying to make 
uh, believers feel like they're a part of. And by doing so, he's causing them to forget the real narrative, the biblical narrative that we're a part of. And so I'm going to actually spend a little time in the book of Nehemiah. Seems like a strange place to go, but I'll, I'll kind of demonstrate, you know, the kind of theme from there. And then in hour number two, we're going to head over to Trinity Church, Cedar Hill, as we listen to Robert Madu, um, and his sermon titled Get Up. And, uh, I will give him credit for the fact that he will begin this sermon by reading out an actual passage of Scripture. This is a rarity nowadays. I mean, <laughs> it's been a while since I can recall, um, you know, a, a seeker-driven megachurch type actually doing that, you know, reading a whole story. And he does. He actually reads an entire story from uh, one of the Gospels. But... <laughs> No sooner does he finish reading the story that when he gets to what the story is about, he demonstrates that he is utterly clueless. <laughs> I mean, utterly. He's got great delivery, though, and boy, is he engaging. And uh, I'm just saying, uh, you know, as far as communication skills, confidence, charisma, oh, this guy's got it. As far as exegetical skills, uh, he's worse than um, Stephen Furtick. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Stephen for it, it's yeah, it's it's really bad. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Uh you need to you you really need to be sitting down for this opening segment. I'm going to play one of our warnings because I feel like your safety is is actually um important at this point and this is not a throwaway warning. What's coming next is just I mean the crazy parade. I mean, this is wow. But let's do this. Warning. The Fighting for the Faith radio broadcast contains spiritually volatile content. This material is not suitable or recommended for those with itching ears or those dependent upon subjective emotional experiences. Fighting for the Faith is not responsible for feelings of disillusionment or disappointment with your man-centered, seeker-sensitive church. We are unable to compensate listeners for time wasted listening to their pastor's narcissistical sermons or serving in their church's redundant, ineffective ministries. Listen at your own risk. If after listening to Fighting for the Faith, you experience a genuine gospel awakening lasting more than five hours, seek the help of a qualified, faithful Bible-teaching pastor. Always take Fighting for the Faith with an open, English-sanctified version Bible. Results will vary. Use as needed. Some discernment required. Here we go. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. All right, so uh, with Irma now uh, barreling through the Caribbean and heading towards the United States, uh, don't worry, never fear, Kat Kerr has uh, shown up in Florida, and she is capable of speaking to hurricanes. That's right. Proof that this year's heresy hurricane season has begun with a heresy regarding hurricanes. Here's 
Kat Kerr. Here we go. Can't move around You're on. Yes, go ahead. Hello. Hello. This is Kat Kerr reporting from Atlantic Beach in Florida. I have just flown in from my meetings in Seattle, Washington. And is that a wizard staff that she has in her hand? I, I'm not. I, I'm not joking. It looks like she has a wizard staff in her hand. I still have an assignment left to do. I'm going to demonstrate to you what to do. When a storm comes, okay? All right, you're gonna, you're, she's going to demonstrate what it is you're supposed to do. What, what are you supposed to do? Well, she's, she's going to show us. Now, I noted on Tuesday that uh, the Apostle Paul was in quite the storm. In fact, it even had a name. The name of it was the Northeaster. Uh-huh. And he was in a boat on the Mediterranean during the storm called the Northeaster. And he did not ascend to the top deck of the ship and then speak to the Northeaster and uh, tell it to s- stop doing what it was doing. In fact, what ended up happening is, is that uh, that ship ended up um, wrecking, yeah, mm-hmm. running aground. And nobody died. That was a mercy given to them by God. Um, but uh, so you're going to note here, number one, nowhere in Scripture we give an authority over storms. That's a Jesus authority. He has that authority by virtue of the fact that he's God. Uh huh. God in human flesh, and uh, we've never been given this authority, nor has it ever been demonstrated for us by any of the apostles. Yeah, look to the New Testament; you will not see apostles commanding and controlling storms, even though they've shown up. Um, so here's Cat Kerr to uh, apparently demonstrate to us uh, what we're supposed to do without any authority from Scripture to teach us what she's going to teach us. It's forming into a hurricane. I don't even want to give it a name. It doesn't even deserve a name. But I am going to take authority over it so you, I can demonstrate once again how you deal with this. Because we, as believers, are over the weather. We are not under the weather. Christ had no issue. No scripture says that we are over the weather. Stopping storms. That was no little storm that he did. De- yeah, that's because he's God in human flesh. We're not with we are joint heirs with him and you need to be just as bold and passionate in your authority in this earth so i'm going to demonstrate to you i'm here in florida on the coast the ocean's right there yeah our ocean is right there the atlantic ocean how much you want to bet this doesn't work and we are north of the storm so what i'm going to do is i'm going to hit it off the coast i'm going to command now i've noted this she's gonna she's gonna speak to the storm here in a minute Hurricanes do not have ears. Nope, they have eyes. So maybe the issue, it, oh, actually it only has one eye, but you know, uh, a hurricane has an eye. So maybe the problem here is she was speaking to the storm and what she needed to do was write this out on poster boards so the hurricane can see it. Go out to sea and dissipate yeah. at the same time because it's growing. When it grows in strength, it's feeding from a low pressure system. So what do you need? You need high pressure. That storm itself has millibars of pressure. The it has millibars, yeah. The more they go, the stronger the storm. Right. So low millibars is the problem here. So what do you do? You have to command the millibars to rise in the hurricane so it will dissipate and be downgraded. Uh-huh. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So you got to command the millibars to dissipate. That that'll solve everything. I, I'm 
Florida, you're saved. Um, rest of the Caribbean, I'm sure you you know this is just going to be amazing. So hopefully she has enough sense to to raise the millibars and send the hurricane into an uninhabited region of the Atlantic. I'm about to do that. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to take authority. You so do that, Father. As your daughter, yeah, and as a joint heir with Jesus Christ, she's doing this by her joint heirness. And as a king in the spirit realm, I make a rule. She's a king in the spirit spirit realm. Wow, yeah. That storm will leave this area. Will leave the coast. I will not tolerate its presence anywhere. Uh, I'm so glad she's not tolerating its presence coast of florida and i'm commanding it to leave and get back out in the ocean you do that right now hurricane you get just get out of here you turn tail and leave same time will dissipate so i come she's now grabbed her i swear this looks like a wizard staff in the millibars in that hurricane you rise right now you rise you millibars rising and rising and rising so the storm will be downgraded 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 yeah and didn't you watch the uh the the kenneth copeland thing they were talking about the importance of wind shear to kind of bend the chimney effect thingy and take the top right off that hurricane and that would that would kill it uh, so you're using the millibar technique yeah I, wow i've never seen that one and then i'm commanding a high to come and sit on the storm yes she's commanding a high so it can be crushed. Yeah. So here I go. I'm going to command She's it. She's now wielding her wizard staff like a baseball bat. I'm going to hit it. Oh, no. <laughs> Strike one. Strike one. Yeah. Swing and a miss. Of our coast. I'm going to hit it. There she goes again. Strike two. And we're going to crush it. Strike two. Three, you're out. Yeah, no, no, I'm not joking. She's wielding this thing like a baseball bat. Our authority, and that's how passionate you need to be. Yeah, you got to you got to get your passion level up to that level when you do the authority thingy. Watch and see that storm will dissipate. It will come to nothing. I will not tolerate you, devil. All right, so that 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 hurricane's coming to nothing. Taking authority in our weather and messing with our weather system, so I take power over all the power of the enemy, driving that storm. And using that storm as a weapon, like they did Harvey, you are not doing that this time. No, 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 no. They failed in their attempts to take authority over Harvey. He was too wily for that. But she's on it with Irma. I will not allow it. And I command the host of heaven, you go right now. You, you, you host of heaven, you just get out there right now and make those millibars do their thing. That storm along with me, commanding the millibars to rise and cause it to dissipate. I want you to shred that storm. You shred it. Shred the storm. Use hand signals for the shredding. Shred it. So yeah. There'll be nothing left to it. Nothing. And nothing. I take authority gladly and rule gladly with Jesus Christ. So I hope this is a lesson to you. Oh, yeah. I, I've learned a lot. Um, the lesson I've learned is that you are a complete and utter lunatic. And a heretic as well. And again, weird that heresy hurricane season begins with a heresy regarding hurricanes. It just <laughs> did not see that one coming. I could not have predicted that. If someone even begins to form, yeah. don't wait for it to be a hurricane. Yeah, I'm yeah. What are you Christians thinking? As soon as you see a tropical wave thingy being discussed on the Weather Channel, you got to get on this. 
always going to be here. I want to be out doing other stuff for God. So all you in Florida or Texas, yeah. by the way, Texas, you people there that rule, you can command that water to dissipate. You can command it to dry up and dissipate. Yeah, the- you start commanding that water, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I think she went to seminary at Hogwarts. I'm just saying, you know. As will recede, that that place will be restored greater than it was before. Don't let the devil get away with that. Yeah. I don't care where injustice is done, whether it's through the weather, through crime, through the ISIS. You have authority over it. You need to stand up body of Christ and start yeah. using that authority. Yeah. Stop preparing for the big one to come. Right. You be big in Christ. Yeah, you got to get big in Christ, man. And you stop it. Yeah, you, you stop it. <clears throat> now, one might say, well, listen, I mean, Roseboro, that's Kat Kerr. I mean, she claims that she takes trips to heaven and stuff like that. Why on earth are you, you holding her up as an example of, you know, that we should be paying attention to? I mean, everybody knows she's wackerdoodle. All right, uh, here's Lance Wall now. Let's uh, see what he has to say about Irma. Korea, and we pray in these storms that you will send the hosts of heaven to shred the demonic fury that is driving the coming together of these winds. Hmm. That's weird. It sounds like Kat Kerr was um, mimicking, repeating what she heard Lance Walnow say about this thing. It's almost identical verbiage. And, um, yeah. I see where uh, she got that. Okay. We divide and, and we separate. Separate, yeah. Even the winds, Lord, that would try to join together in, in combination. Grant us, O oh God, that this uh, that this storm shall dissipate, that it shall downgrade. Uh-huh. Father, we're thanking you right now that the demonic spirits driving this furious wind are going to right now. This These spirits assigned to steal, kill, and destroy, to hit Miami and to hit the innocent. We, Lord, ask you to send your host to shred this demonic force to pieces. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad uh, the people of Florida are now, they, they've been saved by uh, Lance Wall now. We pray that the high pressure of God will come down even upon the situation. Uh-huh. Now there's this, there's a technical term called millibars. Ah, uh, yeah, that we just heard that from Cat Kerr. It sounds like Cat Kerr got her idea from him, mm-hmm. and uh, he's the more respectable one in the uh, NAR. And as the, as those rise in the middle of the hurricane, the hurricane dissipates in strength. We command the millibars to rise. We command the millibars to rise. We command the millibars. Rise, Millibars, rise! <laughs> yeah, again, I think he also went to seminary at Hogwarts. Rise, 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 rise. And we command that storm, even as the eye of that storm, in the name of Jesus, you will push, move off to the coat. You will go, what was that? He just went, push. He had like a finger gun. I am not making <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, okay. Yeah, you just can't make this up. So uh, Lance Wildow just used his finger gun to push. Boom. Um, Irma. And, uh, I mean, what on earth is going on here? To the ocean. You will bounce off in a direction away from the coast. 
See why why I see it doing is coming indoors, Florida, and then yeah. then then the yeah. believe me, yeah, the I, faith of the body of Christ moving in authority. We don't have to accept. No, no, we don't have to accept this this destruction, and we'll see it wobble and peesh. peesh. There oh. he goes again, finger gun. Peesh, peesh. Wow, <laughs> you cannot make this stuff up. And Lance Wallnau is like an elder statesman rock star in the NAR. This is absurdity. I um I'm 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 stepping in here, folks, and um, um based on what I'm seeing, if you live in the state of Florida, mm-hmm, and you're thinking that Irma is gonna head back out to sea and the millibars are gonna rise and you're you're gonna be saved, oh no. No, 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 no. Um, based on what I'm hearing here, if you live in the state of Florida, run for your life. I mean, th- I'm pretty sure at this point, this means Irma is going to just march right up the center of Florida, hit Miami, and oh my goodness. <laughs> I, wow. Run, run, run. You still have time. Get the kids in the in the station wagon or the minivan or the crossover vehicle that you own and get out of Florida. In fact, um, don't stop until you hit Minnesota. I, that's how how bad this could be. The ocean it goes out into the open ocean it goes. No, now there'll be people that'll mock me. Fine, I thought about that before I did this broadcast. Uh, this is nonsense. And Lance, you're going to be proven to be a complete crackpot. The laughing stock of the of atheists in the secular world, because nowhere in Scripture are Christians given this authority, and what you're doing is patently absurd. Oh man! And of course, when this is all done and, and Irma destroys Florida, um, will the body of Christ rise up to rebuke and put? Out of the fellowship, uh, Lance Wall now? No, 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 not at all. Uh, in fact, I'm probably going to have people surround me with torches and pitchforks for daring to say that uh, Christians do not have the authority to command and control hurricanes. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be the one accused of causing division in the body of Christ for saying this. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. Well, when we come back, we're going to be hearing from Steve Sia Calanti as well as James Gall. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Mm. 
Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. Welcome, George Hayworth and Raymond Stewart. Whoa, dude. Your GPS knows, like, who's getting in the car and stuff? Yeah, you know, it's like the newest model. My dad works for some big technology company called Cyberdyne. And, you know, he gave it to me as a birthday gift, but, man, it's so smart, it's, like, really creepy. Huh, okay, man, this it's cool. I guess we're going over to Luke's house, then? Yeah. Hey, GPS! What can I do for you? Could you, like, plot our route to Luke's house? Plotting route to Luke's house. There is an accident on the I-95 freeway approximately 10 miles from your current location. Do you wish to take the side streets? Well, I guess we're gonna have to. Yeah, go ahead and take the side streets. Recalculating. And we're on our way, dude! In 300 feet, make a left turn. So, Ray... What'd you think about the sermon last Sunday? Yeah, I thought it was okay, I guess. Okay? Dude, it like totally changed my life. What do you mean, bro? In half a mile, make a right turn. Well, I was meditating on the whole Jesus died for me thing. And then I realized that by doing that, Jesus was saying to me, Dude, you are so worth it. Yeah, I know that, man. Yeah. But it's even better than that. Really, man? Like, how so? Well, think about it. Not only does Jesus' death prove that I was worth it, well, that also means that I have some ridiculously important dream destiny that I'm supposed to fulfill. How do you figure? Well, Jesus is the Son of God, right? Right. Well, that means it wasn't some third-rate angel that died for me, right? Yeah, you're right. Turn right in 500 feet. Fact. Jesus, he's like the most important dude in the whole universe. And if Jesus is the most important dude in the whole universe, well, he wouldn't waste his time dying for a nobody. So, the way I figure, that means I must really be a somebody. And that means that the reason why Jesus died for me is so that I can accomplish some ridiculously important destiny. I mean, after all, important people don't waste their time dying for unimportant people. Make a right turn in 50 feet. All right, dude, I think I'm tracking with you now. So I'm thinking, I've got like some uber cosmic destiny that I've got to achieve. I bet there's some planet on the other side of the galaxy that I'm the one that's supposed to save it. You've just missed the turn. Recalculating. So that make you like Luke Skywalker or something? Not even. I mean, I've got to be way more important than Luke Skywalker. In 500 feet, please make an illegal U-turn. So you're like Yoda. Don't insult my greatness, dude. Remember, the son of God died for me. Whoa, 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 dude. Like, who would be greater than Yoda? I feel like I'm being ignored. The Force itself. Dude, you think you're as important as the Force? That would make you, like, God. Now you're finally starting to see the light, dude. You morons. You are both wrong. 
You are both sinners who truly deserve death and hell. You're not God. You're not the Force. You're not Yoda. And you're certainly not Luke Skywalker. You're just two guys who are ten feet from the edge of a very treacherous cliff. Uh, well, I guess if I was a god, I would have seen this coming. Now you're finally starting to see the light. Too soon? Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that people who claim that they can command and control hurricanes are false teachers, because they are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we are going to change it up again as we check in with another YouTube prophecy type. This guy has a... uh, a YouTube video that literally went viral, viral, regarding the upcoming September 23rd so-called sign that's supposed to be visible uh, in the heavens that uh, is supposed to be related to Revelation chapter 12, uh, and it's not, and we'll again re-explain this for you all, but uh, let's do this. Soon, 
listen to Third Eagle's tune. Doom and gloom, God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon, you'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom, very soon, rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom, very soon, if you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. Yeah, that's right. William Tapley, third eagle of the apocalypse, co-prophet of the end times. So the uh, person we're going to be listening to now, his name is Steve Ciacalanti, and uh, this is a fellow who has a uh, YouTube video, like I said, and have been saying, it went viral, and it's all about the alleged so-called sign that is going to appear on uh, September 23rd, 2017, claims that it's the fulfillment of the prophesied forthcoming sign in Revelation chapter 12. We'll explain exegetically why that's not the case, but let's let Steve Ciacalanti from this um, viral video uh, explain to us why he thinks that this is an important thing, and we'll note how he creates expectation that maybe, just maybe, this has something to do with the rapture or something, but without actually committing to it. Here we go. Next year, which is now, we're starting now, we are going to get into the year, the Hebrew year, on God's calendar is the year 5,717. Now, no, it's 5,777. He'll correct himself in a second here. This bit, although it seems like it's throwaway, it isn't. This is actually quite important because this is where he begins to create um, eschatological expectations uh, regarding the year 5777. I'll let him explain. Five is the number of grace. 777, I think you know, triple completion. May mean the completion of the age of grace. Ah, see, did you catch it? it may mean, I'm not committing to it, but it might mean the a, the completion of the age of grace. Uh-huh. Also, we don't tend to write our years fully, neither do the Jews. They abbreviate it, so they don't usually say the five, because it's always five. Five starts with 5,000. So they drop that, so the year on their system is the year 777. I mean, if God is into numbers and if he likes patterns and prophetic things, which he evidently does, it's going to be the year 777, starting now. The year of the Messiah according to the Jews. Now, unfortunately, for the Jews who don't yet believe the New Testament and that the Messiah came the first time, they're going to be looking for the wrong Messiah. They will momentarily put their faith and trust in a counterfeit Messiah. But we pray for them that the gospel will reach them. But they believe... This coming year, this year that we're in, is the year for the Messiah to show himself. Revelation. Did you catch that? This is the year for the Messiah to show himself. Now, he's not committed to it. He's saying the Jews believe this, but he's creating that expectation. So now he's going to switch to the so-called sign of Revelation 12, 1 through 2. So notice, he's creating expectation. The Messiah is going to appear. This could be the completion of the age of grace. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it isn't, but it really could be. And God likes patterns and stuff and is into numbers. Says... Now, a great sign. Everyone say great sign. We might say no sign has been called great in the Bible. This is called great sign. Mega sign. We might say this is the greatest sign because no other celestial sign has been given more attention and more detail. 
Uh, what? We gloss over it. We read it very quickly. We're not going to do it today. Let me show you why it's very important. Because the time may be very soon. Yeah, notice what he said there. Because the time may be very soon. He keeps trying to create expectation without being committed to a date. Well, the time is definitely very soon for this to be fulfilled. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. This does not refer to a woman floating through the sky. The simplest, most literal interpretation of this is the constellation Virgo. Why would it be the constellation Virgo? That is a pagan astrological symbol. Why would we go with that? You just have to ask this straight up. Now, let's take a look at the text, because I keep coming back to this, and this is the important part. You can know with certainty, and you don't have to wait until the 24th of September to know these guys are off. And it, all you got to do is pay attention to some details. Detail number one. We'll read out the text in context and we'll see the bigger thing that's going on here because these guys all stop at verse 2. Mm-hmm. And a great sign appeared, Revelation 12:1 in the heaven. In heaven, singular, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, she might he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Okay, now, right off the bat, if you're paying attention to the grammar, you're going to note a great sign appeared in heaven in the heaven in the Greek. It's not just in a heaven. It's the heaven, and it's singular. It's not referring to the heavens, the sky in, in outer space. It said in heaven. Now, where is the apostle John when this particular sign appears in the heaven? Answer, he is he is in heaven himself. How do we know? Revelation chapter 4 sets this. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Uh-huh. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So you'll note that, um, and it's the same phrase, the heaven. As I looked as after this I looked and behold a door standing open in the heaven and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me said come up here John is in the heaven when he sees this sign in Revelation 12 and this sign has already appeared note that the 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 text says a great sign appeared past tense this is the aorist 
uh, tense here of um, of orao, and it means that it happened in the past. A great sign appeared, past tense, in the heaven. Mm-hmm. It does notice that it does not say these words, and a great sign will appear in the heavens. Nope. It says a great sign appeared, past tense, in the heaven. This has already taken place. John has already seen it. And it took. it's not a, a prophecy regarding a future tense sign that's going to appear in the heavenlies. Now, note again, then, the context that something else is supposed to be taking place with this particular uh, sign. <laughs> It's not just that Virgo is giving birth. Nope. Listen again. Okay, verse 2. She was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains, in agony of giving birth. And then another sign appeared in the heaven. Mm-hmm. It's it, Again, it's that phrase. In the heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns on its head, and seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Yeah, you're going to note here that if this was really the sign that's supposed to take place on September 23rd, not only would Virgo be about to give ready to give birth to Jupiter, you know, apparently if this is what the reference is, my question is, where's the dragon in the constellation's you know, sitting there ready to catch the baby, to catch Jupiter when he's born? Answer, he's not. There's nothing in this text, and I mean it, absolutely nothing in this text that points to something occurring, you know, in the in the heavens, in the constellations, as a sign which is a fulfillment of this. That's not what this is pointing to. And you're going to note here that clearly what's going on with the sign has something to do with Mary, the bride of Christ, and with Jesus himself and the devil. Yeah, this is a word picture of something kind of, you know, in, in that sense. And so I would point you to some sound commentaries on this, including the the work of the late Lewis Brighton. Yeah, if you uh, have a, uh, if you have iTunes University on your tablet or your uh, computer or your phone, look this up. Type in Lewis Brighton Revelation, and Con- uh, Concordia Theological Seminary St. Louis has it recorded for posterity uh, a series of seminary lectures on the book of Revelation by a man whose uh, adult specialty was the study of the book of Revelation. Strongly recommend you pay attention to those and not pay attention to Steve C. Acalanti. So, again, just looking at the text, number one, past tense, appeared. Uh-huh, past tense, not future tense, will appear. Where did it appear? In the heaven. It did not say it will appear in the heavens. Big difference. And this that kind of minutia grammar really matters. The other part of it, though, continues because uh, if this was the sign, then we have to see in the constellations a dragon you know, near the birth canal of Virgo, ready to devour the um, <laughs> the the baby who's about to be born. 
So, yeah, sorry, but uh, there are no uh, there are no programs that you can, including Stellarium, that you can purchase that are going to show that okay, Virgo, and then the dragon is going to be there to catch the baby, and the, and then the sun is clothing her with the moon at her feet. This is this is nonsense. And by the way, so when this sign appears on the twenty third, will anybody on planet Earth be able to see it? Nope, not one single person have you ever done stargazing at noon i've never seen any stars at noon now during the eclipse the total eclipse when i went and traveled down to missouri to see the total eclipse i mean which was amazing it was spectacular to see the stars pop out in the middle of the day but that was only for a couple of minutes and so in order for the world to see this sign the sun's gonna have to turn off and I'll bet you dollars to donuts that it won't. Although Prophetic Warning TV, we've already played their take on this so-called sign. They are claiming that starting at noon Jerusalem time on the 23rd of September, that the sun is going to be darkened so that the world will be able to see the sign. To which I would say poppycock, because if you know your text and you pay attention to the details of the text and the grammar, it is obvious that this text has nothing to do with September 23rd, 2017. So, yeah, so the sun will not turn off at noon. <laughs> I just, and to say that it would is uh, is just, you know, erroneous. So let's uh, listen again, uh, you know, to more of Steve C. Calanti. And notice he's creating expectation without committing to it. This is something prophetically significant, but he's not committed to it. But he's creating the expectation the Messiah is supposed to show up in the year 5777. Which will have the sun at her head, the moon at her feet, and 12 stars, nine from the constellation Leo, and a conjunction of Mercury, Mars, and Venus. Uh, You forgot the dragon also is supposed to be there. Keep reading through this passage, and you'll see the dragon is also supposed to be there in tandem with this sign, if this is a future sign. And I don't see you pointing out the dragon. It seems to be missing. On her head, that makes 12 stars on the 23rd of September, 2017. Remember that date, 23rd of September, 2017. Remember that date. 23rd to 24th. The date in the Hebrew calendar starts from nightfall of the 23rd to nightfall of the 24th. Their day start from night, goes to day. Our day goes from day, ends at night. Right? Because when you're Gentile and you don't know God, you, you start in the light and you head to darkness. But when you're the people of God, you start in the darkness and you head towards the day. Make sense? Okay. Now, how rare is this? Well, this hasn't happened before in our lifetime. In fact, the last time it happened was 5,932 years ago, and that would be on our Gregorian calendar, the 5th of August, the year 3,915 B.C., roughly the time when Adam and Eve walked the earth. So this sign, the last time it appeared, seems to match when Adam and Eve were taught about how the woman would go into labor pain when she gives birth, and that the serpent would bruise um, her seed's heel. All right. So the last time this happened was apparently at the same time Adam and Eve were learning from God uh, their punishment for transgressing 
his covenant and eating of the fruit that they were told not to eat of. Uh-huh. And and so he's pointing out this sign was there while they this was happening. Of course, my question is, were Adam and Eve able to see it? Because if, I mean, if the last time this happened was back then, that means the sun was there too and the moon was there at the same time. And that means they wouldn't have been able to see Virgo. And did Adam and Eve, were they, did they adopt and understand the pagan, pagan astrological symbols? And had they embraced them at that point? But her seed, the coming Messiah, would bruise his head. Remember that? Okay, we'll come back to that. But when that was being told, and he was also being told, God said, that the stars and the sun and the moon are given for Moedim, for appointed times. When that was being told, there was a sign in the sky. Yeah, which they couldn't have seen. And again, I just asked the question, did Adam and Eve believe in the astrological symbols? Like this, and it hasn't happened since. It's about to happen in less than 360 days. So let's map it out. You know that we've talked about the four blood moons plus the other two eclipses. Uh. The blood moons had no prophetic significance at all, none, because the blood moon described in Scripture, the reason why it's been turned to blood is because the sun has been darkened. Four blood moons started on Passover, 15th of April, 2014, and two days before this great sign of the woman in the sky, clothed with the sun in her hair, the moon at her feet, 12 garland of 12 stars by her head, right, two days before that is the Feast of Trumpets. Feast of Trumpets is, we just learned, prophetically, the next thing Jesus will fulfill. He fulfilled four feasts. The next feast, the fifth feast, he, he must fulfill. The next event should be the resurrection of the dead and the rapture of the saints. All right, so notice what he just said there. The next thing Jesus is going to fulfill, the resurrection of the dead and the rapture of the saints. So notice he's creating the expectation that this is somehow linked to the year 577 on the Jewish calendar, as well as to September 23rd, 2017. He's creating expectation without committing to it. He's not setting a date, but hey, this is kind of important stuff, and you know God likes numbers and and patterns and Moedim and things like that, so... So if it were to happen, it should happen on the Feast of Trumpets. Next, All right, so the um, rapture is supposed to happen and the general resurrection on the Feast of Trumpets, which just so happens to coincide with what? September 23rd, 2017. Trumpets will start, there's a two-day leeway, 20 to 22nd of September. If you count those two dates, the distance between those two dates, anyone want to guess? The distance between those two dates? Uh, 1,260-something days. From the first lunar eclipse, blood moon, to the Feast of Trumpets next year, 2017, there are, you know this number, Isaac Newton cared about it, lots of other godly people tried to calculate it, 1,260 days. Yeah, told you. I'm not making this up. You pun- yeah, I, I know you're not making up that part. The problem is, is you are utterly distracted. I mean, this is a complete demonic distraction away from the actual task that we've been given to make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that Christ has commanded. Jesus himself said, 
No one knows the day or the hour. No one. Those, not even the angels in heaven, and at the time he said it, not even the son, him, himself, knew the day or the hour. And here this fellow is setting dates without setting dates. He's non-committally creating expectation that this is going to happen at this time, but I'm not, it's not 100%, but it's rather fascinating, interesting. Jesus said, concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. That is Matthew 24, verse 36. And I would point out what 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 4 says. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Uh Uh-huh. So here, Steve Ciacalanti's trying to set a date without setting a date. The thing we're, we're expecting, he's creating expectation without firmly committing to it. In the calculator, this is written in the skies. If you want to sign, this is not religious. This is not bogus. This is not something made. Oh, it's totally bogus because if you pay attention to the grammar of the text, you would realize this has nothing to do with September 23rd. This was pre-planned when God put the stars into orbit. No, this is not. This is has nothing to do with Revelation 12. Nothing. Pay attention to the details of the grammar, and you realize, nope, this has nothing to do with it. This was pre-planned so that it would spell out 1,260 days, a number we've seen many times. Revelation 12, a woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. And again, I think those would be repetitive. I find it fascinating that you just quoted Revelation 12, verse 6, but you've skipped Revelation 12, verses 3 through 5, which makes it clear that in conjunction with the sign of the virgin about to give birth, clothed with the sun and the stars and the moon, that um, there would also be a dragon. How convenient that you left that out. Say, why does it appear there? Because I think it's the first set. Then there'll be another set. Then there'll be another set. All right? So now, take the distance from the woman in the sky. Now, the woman in the sky, she's got all these signs, plus she's to give birth. Remember that? Yeah. In Revelation 12, she's supposed to give birth. Well, if you're supposed to give birth around that date, then something significant should happen nine months before. It's called conception. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to give you the date. Count nine months from the 23rd of September, and let's just see if anything happens. Put it on your calendar. All right? Around that time, we should see a conception, which is the 23rd of December, 2016. I have a friend who does YouTube. Um, You can go to his channel called The Cutting Edge 2, and he puts the date even earlier, and he says the conception is 20th of November, and that's based on him drawing lines. This is just nonsense. Who was watching the conception taking place? On the constellation. I don't know if we can draw lines in the sky like that, but I'm just going to do it very simple. Nine months. Nine months. 23rd of December. Hey, guys, are you planning to be here for 50 years? Are you living like you got another... 30 years to go? I never predicted when the rapture is going to happen. I'm not- no, he's just creating expectation and basically saying, don't plan on being here for 50 years. Etc. I'm showing you patterns 
and fulfillments, a very likely fulfillment of Revelation 12. Uh-huh, yeah. So he's not a date setter, but he's showing us a very likely fulfillment of um, Revelation 12. No, it's not a likely fulfillment of it at all, because if you pay attention to the text in context, watch the grammar, pay attention to what's going on, it's impossible that September 23rd, 2017, has anything to do with this. Now, I'm going to remind you again what Scott Clark said, and I want you to watch how he creates expectation without committing to firmly setting a date. So it's this isn't he's not setting the date for the rapture. But yeah, let's listen again to Scott Clark. These are selected pieces, kind of a montage of uh, from his conference audio. And then I start talking about end times uh, and um, New World Order, and then that dovetailed into end times. And then I'm like, I'm going to just start telling people how I think Bible prophecy works. And then it just started to grow. And about that time, 2008 was when Mark Biltz released on Prophecy in the News with Gary Stearman. He sat down uh, in JR Church that, you know, look at this pattern of blood moon, signs in the heavens, Joel 2.31. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. And look at how massive this pattern is. That was just so fascinating. I was trying to figure out, you know, how close are we? Is this the rapture? Is this the tribulation period? And I used to make timelines and things, always trying to figure out where are we in the... So how close are we? Is this the rapture? Is this the tribulation period? How close are we? Signs in the heavens, you know. In, you know, in time. And I remember I was in a, um, I was in a forum online and people were looking at these signs in the heavens and somebody had posted what they thought was the Revelation 12 sign. So we've got Virgo here. It says that great sign was seen in the Shamaim. I took that from the Holy Scripture. Shamaim is plural for heavens. Yeah, but the Greek there is the heaven, singular in the Greek, to urano. Hebrew. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And being pregnant, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. That's the first two verses there. Yeah, notice he also skips the part about the dragon. The dragon has to be present as she's about to give birth. Back then, they didn't have telescopes. They just saw the astronomers or the the sky watchers back then, like the wise men who, who knew... They were wise enough to realize, to look to the heavens to find out when the Messiah was going to be born. There's nothing wrong with doing this if you do it biblically. This is not zodiac astrology. Yeah, actually, it is. You're using signs from the zodiac astrological symbols and syncretizing them with revelation. Titanic stuff. God already created this stuff. Genesis 1.14, he put the lights in the skies. Yeah, I agree. God put the lights in the skies, but it's man who put the lines on the lights and created constellations. The sun governs the day, the moon governs the night, and he put them for signs. The first page of the Bible. And for seasons, but that word seasons is moedim in the Hebrew, which means appointments on God's calendar. Yeah, that's not really right. I'm not telling you that this is the rapture, but... Notice what he just said there. I'm not telling you this is the rapture, but... (laughs) All right. So let me rephrase this and see if you catch the point. So you, you go to your spouse and you say to your spouse, Hey, honey, does this make me look fat? 
and your spouse goes, listen, I'm not telling you that you're fat, but mm-hmm. I'm not telling you that you're fat, but what's that mean? I'm not telling you you're fat, but you are a little chunkier, a little overweight. You, uh, yeah, just start using the descriptions, right? So what they're really doing is telling you that you're fat. That's what he just did there. Steve C. Aclanti did the same thing. I'm not saying this is the rapture, but... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Let me back it up just a smidge. Listen again. Statements on God's calendar. I'm not telling you that this is the rapture, but because, you know, we have to be careful with our words. And yeah, I'm not yeah. trying to be a date setter, and I don't want everybody to put their eggs all in one basket or anything. Yeah, but I want some of your eggs in this basket. Like that. But this is fa- but. fascinating because of what's in the narrative of the text. Yeah, yeah, you skip the part about the dragon being present. The dragon needs to be present. So, listen. These guys are saying they're not setting dates, but, 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 but. These are important stuff. I'm not saying that the rapture is coming, but, 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 but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, they're equivocating, and they're not playing with a full deck. So, all right. It looks like we're going to have to save the James Goal um, segment for a future episode. We'll just hang on to that. I am actually looking forward to it. But uh, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, sermon review from an up-and-comer, Robert Madu. Stay tuned. I want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. 
Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box? No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. We're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. This one starts so well and then takes a hard left turn into the weeds. Let's do this right. good, the bad, and, uh, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Trinity Church Cedar Hill. Robert Medew presiding. Name of the message is Get Up! And supposedly this is um, a sermon taken from the story of Jesus raising the daughter of Jairus from the dead, synagogue ruler. So um, I say supposedly because he's going to do something we don't see a lot of anymore. He's going to actually read the story from the text, not interrupt it, read it out, and then (laughs) mangle it like you wouldn't believe uh, because he thinks the story is about you, not Christ. And that's where he heads off into the unrecoverable section. Yeah, a message that will have to go into the waste bin of sermonic history. So let me back off on the music. Without any further ado, here's Robert Madu in his sermon. Get up. Here we go. Amen. Anybody love Jesus today? Come on, if you love him, would you give him some praise? Come on, you could do better than that. God is good. Do you love the person sitting next to you? Okay. Because if you don't, this would be your time to change your seat. No. I, uh, hey, I really want to reiterate what Pastor said. I hope you will uh, make sure your face is in the place tonight. I think Plunge is one of the greatest things that our church does. Just hanging out, eating people's food, and uh, 
watching people make the greatest decision, the public display of their faith. So uh, make sure you come back tonight. It's going to be awesome. Would you stand with me today to honor the reading of God's word? I have to be honest with you. I feel like preaching. All right. So everyone's on their feet to hear the reading of God's word. That's a perfectly fine uh, and it, it, it's just a good edifying practice. And so um, this portion of the sermon is going to be great. Listen in. Today. I want to uh, look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 21 through 43. 21 through 43, and that's a lot of scripture, but come on, you got to... Ex- yeah, no, it's really not. Um <laughs> That that's part of a whole story being told there in Mark. That's not a lot of scripture. You're going to note that apparently when it comes to God's word, the people in the mega churches are quite anemic. You know, it's like, you know, you, you can't give them too much Bible. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That gets radical. But don't worry. He, he's going to make it all about them. That'll smooth it all over. Today, this week, you got a long weekend, so... <laughs> Bear with a brother, but I really need the entirety of the text uh, to say what the Lord's given me today. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21, when you're ready to read it. Notice he said, this is a message that the Lord has given him. So God has given him this interpretation to challenge it, to question is to question God. Yeah. If you need some time, say, hold up. All right, it's on the screen, but I'll give you some time. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she would be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, that's what one version says, or overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, 
He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began walking around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them, give her something to eat. Now, right there, I mean, had he stopped the sermon and just said, this is the word of the Lord, this would have been a great sermon. He didn't explain it, but hey, you're going to get <laughs> you're going to get more accuracy reading it solo here than allowing him to then explain the significance of this text. Because what follows, I mean, we're on a countdown now. We are seconds away from him taking this sermon that started so well. With a reading of a large portion of scripture, it's not too large, but I mean, uh, you know, a reading of a story in context. Notice no verse is taken out of context here. And uh, all, all he's got to do is keep pointing us to Christ in this text and what's really going on. And it, and if you can read the original languages, oh man, the Greek on this is beautiful. Oh, there's, it, this is so rich. But like I said, we are seconds away from him taking this sermon and crashing it into a brick wall. It's going to be unrecoverable at this point. We're going to have to call the insurance company, and they're going to declare the sermon to be totaled. Here we go. Are you ready? We're getting ready for the collision. Put your helmets on. Who can you say amen? I told you there's a lot of scripture. Now, remain standing. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And I, I like to make you stand for a while because as long as you're standing, my preaching time does not count. So I like to milk this out just a little bit. But, but, but I want you, I want you real quick to look back at verse 40 and 41, verse 40 and 41. But they laughed at him after he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, Get up. I almost titled this sermon today, Get Up. Because that would be a good sermon title. Um, come on, it just makes you want to shout right there. Get up. But I don't know if the power is really in the get up. Uh, what? Because before he told the little girl to get up, verse 40 says, the people that laughed, the negative Nancys in the room, he put all of them out. So before he said, get up, I told you I feel like preaching today. He then said, get out. What if the power of your miracle is not just in the miracle itself, but in what is surrounding your miracle? Um, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 my apologies. Yeah, I, I know, I, I, I know. There's no way to. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> There's no way to recover this. It, the, the sermon is now ruined. Yep. <laughs> it's, um, wow, um, really bad. We continue. The atmosphere, the climate, the environment. Yeah, the environment, the atmosphere could be inter interrupting your miracle. Wow. That is around your miracle. Ooh. 
You no, that ain't a who unless it's like, whoa, man, what smells? What was that you? Oh, ah. <laughs> wow. Um, Telling things to get up. Maybe today you need to tell some things to get out. This is going to be long. Oh, man. I I don't know how I'm going to get through this. This is so bad. Look at your neighbor like you're mad at them. Say, neighbor, get out. Come on, find another neighbor. Get in there. Yeah, so tell your neighbor, get out. Yeah, that's really what the takeaway is from did you notice how jesus raised somebody from the dead do you think we might be needing to focus on that jesus fellow get in their personal space say it like you got an attitude say neighbor get out give god some praise if you believe he's gonna speak to you today you may be seated father Speak to us. Amen. Get out. The divine interaction and collision, the characters in our text today, immediately gave me a nostalgic parental flashback to November 2014. I was getting ready to leave my house to go to the airport to preach at a conference. It's not anything unusual. However, this time I was not just leaving my house as a husband. I was now leaving my house as a father. So I was in that emotional, precarious predicament of leaving my firstborn girl for the first time. A little Evie girl was about a month old. And you know how it is when it's your first child. Everything is different when it's your first child. There's things you do with the first child that you do not do with the other children. Uh, We're about four weeks away from baby number three. Uh, So we'll have three kids under three and we got a dog. So when I leave the house right now, I leave like there's a warrant for my arrest. And I take the long route home, okay? (laughs) Taylor will call me like, babe, where are you? I'm like, I'm in traffic. She's like, no, you're in the driveway. I see you. (laughs) Just give me a minute (laughs) to get in. (laughs) But, But when it's your first child, when it's your first child, oh, it's totally different. I am so emotional. I'm leaving my baby girl for the first time. So, I mean, tears are continually cascading down my face, snot. It's everywhere. I'm, I'm holding her. I'm like, daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. And I give her to Taylor, walk out, come back in the room, get hand sanitizer, pick her up again. Daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. I'm on the plane. I'm FaceTiming her on the plane, crying. You is kind. You is smart. You is, imp- I mean, I'm a mess. Get to the service. Get to the service that night. I'm still emotional. I walk into the service. A guy by the name of Eddie James is leading worship. And of course, when I walk in, he's singing, you're a good, good father. I'm like, no, I'm not, Eddie. It's just messed up. I don't even remember what I preached. I think I just put up a picture of Evie and said, that's my sermon. Got in the green room after and Eddie James came up to me and he said, man, congrats on your baby girl. She's beautiful. I said, thanks. I made her. And (laughs) I said, but Eddie, before you leave, you know, Evie might not have been born if it wasn't for you. 
Eddie looked at me like I had lost my mind and said, what? I said, Eddie, you probably don't remember this, but in December of 2006, you were scheduled to speak and do a worship night at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. I said, but Eddie, your van broke down on your way to Dallas. Eddie said, I remember that. Eddie, when your van broke down, you called a guy by the name of Adam McCain. And you told Adam, by the time my van is fixed, I won't be able to make it to the service tonight, so I have to cancel. Adam McCain got off the phone with you, Eddie, and looked to a room full of people and said, Eddie James just canceled for Tuesday night service. Who in the world are we going to get to fill his spot? In that room that day was a man by the name of Brian May- What on earth does this have to do with the raising of Jarius's daughter? Brian Means said, Adam, Sunday, I just heard this young man by the name of Robert Madu preach. He's local. Maybe he can do it. Adam McCain calls my phone. I answer. I said, hello. He said, is this Pastor Robert Madu? I said, yes, it is. He said, Robert, um, I know this is crazy. It's, it's last minute. But is there any way in the world you could come to Christ for the Nations? We just had a cancellation. Could you come speak to our students in chapel tonight? Now, keep in mind, at this time, I am still a student myself at Southwestern Assemblies of God University. So in full disclosure and honesty, I looked at Adam and said, you know what, Adam? It seems like it was just yesterday that I was a Bible college student myself. It would be my honor to come speak into the life of your student body. Drove from Sagu to CFNI, about to preach. Before I get up, Adam McCain says, students, it's Tuesday night. It's time for our Tuesday night testimonial video where we see a video of a student who God has changed their life. All of a sudden on the screen comes the finest girl with the strongest Arkansas accent that I have ever heard in my life and begins to tell her testimony. I preach that night, leave, and go home. The next day, I'm at Southwestern Sims of God University, and a girl by the name of Becca taps me on my shoulder and says, Hey, Robert. I said, It's Pastor Robert, but continue. <laughs> she said, she said I-, I saw you last night preaching at CFNI. I said, You did? She said, Yeah. She said, did you see the girl that was on the screen telling her testimony? I said, yes, I did. She said, I've known that girl for several years, and I have always wanted to hook y'all up. And the fact that you were there preaching and they showed her testimony is a sign to me that y'all have God to me. The next week, the next week, that girl and I went on our first date at the illustrious International House of Pancakes. I said, Eddie, to make a long story longer, I said, that girl's... Yeah, we're, we're learning a lot about you, Robert. Um, this, this passage that you read from Mark 5 is about Jesus. Name was Taylor Mitchell. I made it Taylor Madu. We did what married people do. Evie is the evidence of that. Eddie, I just want to say thank you that your van broke down that night. Share that with you today, church family, because who in the world would have known that Evie and Eddie were connected? Because their connection was not something that you can see on the surface. 
But once you begin to peel back the layers and dig down deep into the archaeological value of somebody's life, it becomes lucidly clear that none of us get to live life in autonomy, separate from other people, me, myself, and I. But all of us are intrinsically and inextricably connected. We are connected. Your life is not a straight line. Our lives are links. We are connected with each other. Stories connecting to stories and miracles merging with miracles to create a beautiful mosaic. I call it the tapestry of humanity of so many stories telling one single story. Mm -hmm. What's the one story all of our stories are telling, please? And that is the tenor of this text today, because in the gospel of Mark chapter number five, he begins by telling us the story of this man whose name is Jairus. And in the middle of the story, he interrupts that story with another story of a woman with an issue of blood. And the reason why Mark is sandwiching these two stories together is because these two stories are deeply connected. As a matter of fact, to preach, teach, or exegete the story of Jairus without discussing the issue, the woman with the issue of blood, is really to do an injustice to the integrity of this text. Because both of these stories are deeply connected. Not on the surface. Not on the surface. No, you got to dig down deep. Because on the surface, how many of you know Jairus and this woman could not be more opposite? Oh, they are completely opposite. They could not be more opposite. Come on, one of these things is not like the other. Jairus and this woman have absolutely nothing in common. First of all, Jairus is a man. She is a woman. I paid attention to biology 101, okay? It's totally opposite. Jairus is named, this woman, we don't even get her name. Jairus is a ruler in the synagogue. This woman can't even enter the synagogue because her sickness has made her ceremonially unclean. Jairus is honored and respected. Now that's true. She has been ceremonially unclean for 12 years. This woman has been shamed and rejected. Jairus is married. This woman is single. Jairus has a child. This woman's sickness has robbed her of the joy of motherhood. Jairus has some money in the bank and is affluent. This woman is broke, busted, and disgusted because she has spent all her money on worthless physicians. Let me bring the text to the 21st century. Jairus drives a Benz, but this lady is riding the bus. Let me bring the text to Texas. Jairus Jairus lives in Highland Park, but this woman is from the hood. They have absolutely nothing in common, but yet all of a sudden, even though they have nothing in common, they have now been pushed to the same place, posture, and position because they are both been hit by something that they cannot handle. Come on, life will do that, you know. Life has a way of evening the playing field. Does anybody know what it's like to have life hit you with something that you know you cannot handle. Life has a way of putting something in front of you. It don't matter how much money you got in the bank. It don't matter how many degrees, your pedigree. It don't matter how many followers you got on Instagram. How many know life will hit you with something you cannot handle? And if it hadn't happened yet, check your pulse and keep on living. It will happen. And might I suggest if you are in this room today and life has hit you with something you cannot handle, how many know that thing is a job for Jesus? That thing is telling you you can't. Yeah, um, all of these things are a consequence of our sin, collectively, um, because of our rebellion. 
Now, I've taught on this text several times, and uh, let me go back to my notes on it um, from my translation of this text from the Greek. Mark 5.21, I want to point out a few things along the way. Jesus passing through the sea in the boat to the other side, um, the, a large crowd, crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. And the ruler of the synagogue, whose name was Jairus, comes, and seeing him, falls at his feet. And he urged him greatly, saying that my little daughter is dying. Come, that you might lay your hands on her in order to save her, that she might live. Kind of important, save her. Now, the Greek word there is is actually sozo. Okay? It can also be heal, but I translate it straight up as save because I think that gives us a, bit, a little bit more of what's going on here. There's some kind of wordplay in this text. So Jesus departs with him, and a great crowd followed him, and they crowded him. And a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years and suffered greatly by many doctors and had spent all that she had to no avail, but rather had gotten worse, she had heard of Jesus coming behind him in the crowd. She touched his garment. Uh huh. And I find it fascinating here. This is really talking about the sitzioth on uh, Jesus' garments uh, that are required uh, by the Torah. And uh, for she had said, if only I might touch his garment, I will be saved. Now, again, I'm just going to translate sozo here as saved. I will be saved, she says. Immediately, the woman's flow of blood dried up. She knew she was, and here's a fascinating idiom, saved from the scourge, mastigas, Greek. She knew that she was saved from the scourge. It is a graphic depiction of the suffering that she has undergone psychologically, spiritually, physically. I mean, this is a whole, whole person suffering that she's gone through from being Unclean, ceremonial unclean for 12 years, losing all of her money, being poor, uh, the physical distress of, of you know, whatever this ailment is, um, the um, suffering and shame that she's experienced from people in, the own com- in her own community. And by the way, she touching Jesus, she's not supposed to be doing this. And yet she touches the Sitzioth and... She immediately knew that that she was saved from the scourge. Important idiom in the Greek here. So immediately Jesus knew in himself power had gone out of him. And turning around in the crowd, he said, Who touched my garment? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd crowding you, and you say, Who touched me? And so Jesus looked around to see who had done it. The disciples are not getting it. It's like, everyone's touching you. What are you talking about, Jesus? But the woman, fearing and trembling, and this is a great fearing and trembling. So she's coming unglued at this point. She's shaking because she thinks she's going to get it. She's, I mean, technically she's not allowed to be in the presence of all of these people because she'll make them unclean themselves. So she's fearing and trembling. She knew what had happened to her, and she came and fell before him and told him the whole truth, the text says. And expecting to get it, I mean, expecting to be disciplined, to be rebuked, to be ridiculed, to suffer all kinds of shame. And Jesus said to her, and this is where it's just so absolutely beautiful. He says to her, Who got there? 
daughter. Epistasu sesokense, your faith has saved you. And her faith was in Jesus. Jesus is saying, literally, your Jesus saved you. Go in peace. Be healthy from your scourge, Jesus said. He even knew what was going on inside of her heart, that she had been healed from the scourge, and even says it so. Go in peace. Be healthy from your scourge. And while he was still speaking, those from the synagogue ruler came saying that your daughter has died. Why still trouble the teacher? Notice everyone's, this is about Jesus, right? So Jesus refused to listen to the word they were speaking and said to the synagogue ruler, do not fear. Do not be fearing, only believe. Only believe what? Only believe in who? Just believe. Believe me, Jesus is saying. He would not permit anyone to accompany him except for Peter, James, and John, the brothers of James. And they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, and Jesus observes the tumult and the weeping and the great wailing. Now this signifies that, yeah, the synagogue ruler had money because he had means to pay for yeah, and I'm not making this up. These, this, these are paid mourners, part of the culture of the day. So entering, Jesus says, Why are you in tumult and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. Only Jesus can talk like this, by the way. So they laughed at him, but he threw them all out, and he takes the father of the child and the mother with him and enters where the child was. And he grasps the hand of the child, and he says to her, Talitha kum which is translated, little girl, arise. And immediately the little girl got up and walked, for she was 12 years old, and they were amazed immediately with great amazement. Why? Jesus just raised somebody from the dead. Nobody's ever heard of anything like this, right? So he commanded them strongly that no one know this and said to give her something You see, in the story, when the word comes that uh, Jairus' daughter had died, why trouble the master anymore? He could have saved her while she was alive, but clearly he can't do that now that she's dead. Do not fear, only believe. Your Jesus saves you. So, I mean, this is a text that is just rich in pointing us to Christ, who wants us to call upon him in our times of trouble, when we are suffering in our own form of scourges, uh whether it's physical suffering, psychological, spiritual, communal, and even to trust him in our own death, because Jesus says that he's going to raise us up on the last day. This all points to Jesus. So those are just some notes that I think are worth you know, considering as we listen to Robert Madu, so far he's um, read the text, jumped the tracks, and is preaching about himself. This is no way to, to exegete a text. If the situation in front of you, you better call on the God that has more power than you, that can handle the thing that you cannot handle. Look at them. They have nothing in common on the peripheral, but yet life has put them in the exact same place in the exact same position, and they both find themselves, watch this, pushing people out the way to get to Jesus. Woo! 
Ooh, can you see it? The Bible is clear. Whenever Jesus would preach somewhere, there would be a multitude of crowds. Crowds would just show up. You think the paparazzi shows up for Justin Bieber? Ooh, think about Jesus who healed every single disease. Everywhere he went, the crowd was there. And both of them had to push people out of the way to get to Jesus. Can you see them just move out of the way, pushing people. I love it because Jairus is a pastor. He's essentially, and he's pushing people out. That's not nice. It's rude to put, he is pushing people. I can see them like a Jairus. I loved your sermon. Good. Move out the way. I got to get, this woman is ceremonially unclean. She's not even supposed to be in public touching people. But she said, y'all going to get touched today. Move out the way. Jesus, pushing people out of the way. You know why they're both pushing? Oh, because death. Um, the text doesn't say anything about Jairus pushing people. Mark five twenty one. Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. A great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. Yeah, it doesn't say anything about Jairus pushing anybody out of the way. For people. <laughs> do desperate things. There's something about desperation where you don't have protocol, you don't have procedure. Protocol and procedure are for people who have the luxury of complacency. But how many you know when you are really desperate for something from God, you will push people out of the way. You will kick whoever you got to kick. Oh, desperation is a powerful thing. In fact, I think God will often use desperation to drive you to your destiny. Oh, yes. God has a way of using desperation. De- desperation will drive you to your destiny. Um, by destiny, do you mean eternal life? Desperation has a way of sharpening your focus on what's really important in your life. Come on, when you are desperate from God, you don't have time to be petty. When you are desperate for God, you don't care what other people think about you. When you are really desperate for God, you don't care what they wrote on your Facebook page or your Instagram wall. When you are really desperate for God, in fact, desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. Uh, What? Desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. What are you talking about? You wonder why you haven't got your breakthrough yet. Maybe it's because you're not desperate enough for God. Oh, I see. So if you haven't had your breakthrough yet, it's because you haven't reached the proper level of desperation. So up your desperation levels so that you can finally get your breakthrough. Yeah, that's a weird currency. Do something in your life. Desperation is powerful. I I travel, Pastor told you, I travel and preach and go to some awesome places. And one of the questions I get all the time that people ask me, they say, Robert, why do you preach about yourself so much? Is that the question? Where's your favorite place to preach? Where's your favorite place to preach? And I know I'm going to get that question all the time. I get that question, but I often struggle to answer it. Because for me, the effectiveness of ministry or preaching has less to do with an address or a destination of a place, but more to do with an attitude and disposition of the people that are in the place. Uh, I would rather preach in a basement with some people who are desperate for a word from God than to preach in the Bahamas with some bougie, stuck-up people who act like they don't need God to do anything in their life. But come on, somebody. Is there anybody in here who say, I didn't come to play church today? I am desperate for God to do something in my life. Wow, that's quite the narcissistic focus. Oh, give me 
some desperate people. Yeah, get your desperate levels up, folks. Yeah, if God's if you expect God to do anything in your life, you you got to really, 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 really be desperate. You can't just be somewhat desperate or kind of desperate. You got to really, 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 really be desperate. Oh, desperation is powerful. Desperation will pull things out of you you didn't even know was in you. But this week I couldn't help. I couldn't help but to juxtapose uh, the imagery of Hurricane Harvey with the previous week's imagery of Charlottesville, Virginia. It was interesting to see because both were tragedies, one fueled by hatred and division, but perhaps the collateral beauty of Hurricane Harvey, Harvey was to see the unifying power of a desperate situation. Oh, because I begin to see, I begin to see old people helping young people. I saw black people helping white people and white people helping black people. I saw Hispanic people helping Asian people and people sharing beds and people giving aid from all over the world. I saw people joining together because it was a desperate situation. You know what I did not see? I did not see anybody when they got ready to get rescued from the flood that said, hey, before I get on that boat, tell me, who did you vote for? Hillary or Trump? No, no, no. Because when you are really desperate for God to do something in your life when you need some real help come on somebody you don't care whether that hand is black red yellow black or white you just say I need somebody to get me out of this desperate people only know two words help me it was the tides of desperation that brought both this woman and Jairus at the feet of Jesus Look at them. Nothing in common on the peripheral. But yet desperation brought them both at the feet of Jesus. This is a picture of the gospel. This is the power and the potency of the church. That people who have nothing in common on the peripheral can both fall at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I need you to do something in my life. Just for a moment. Are you bored yet? Just for a moment. Let's discuss the details of their desperation. Bible is clear that Jairus gets to Jesus first. He gets to Jesus first and his request is urgent. He said, Jesus, my little girl is dying. The vocal intonation of Jairus suggests that this is a 911 emergency call. Jesus, I don't just need you to come to my house. I need you to come quickly. That's correct. This is absolutely true. Time is running out. This woman, her issue is not acute. It has been chronic. For several years now, she has been dealing with hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging with an issue of blood. That's her issue. And mm-hmm. true. How much Mark wants to let us know that these two individuals are connected. It just so happens that this little girl who is dying is 12 years old. And this woman who's been suffering with the issue of blood has been dealing with it for 12 years. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Look at somebody say, they're connected. There seems to be some kind of number thing going on, sure. 12-year-old girl dying and 12 years of suffering with hemorrhaging. So that means, watch this, on the day that Jairus' little girl was born was the same day that this woman got the diagnosis of her disease. So that means chronologically and cinematically speaking, if this was a movie, this would be the part on the screen where it says 12 years before and it would flash back to a hospital 
And coming out of the hospital would be Jairus and his wife and their beautiful baby girl. And they're smiling with the full elation of parenthood. But right behind them, coming out of the same hospital, is a woman with tears coming down her face. Because she's just found out that the disease she's facing is going to be there for a while. And they're both at the same hospital, but don't even see each other. Isn't that just like life? Except they didn't have hospitals back then. But I, I mean, I understand, you know, the point that you're making. Okay. Many times in life, you can be so preoccupied with your promise or so preoccupied. So preoccupied with your promise. What are you talking about? Your pain that you don't even see other people. You don't even see what they're facing. It was a metaphor, right? There, there are no hospitals back then. They didn't. Oh, man. Uh. This individualistic, narcissistic, selfie saturated culture that we live in. That is. Yeah. Why you preach about yourself. You're pointing that out. Right. Yeah. Also, the art of empathy. How many know we got to get back to what the Bible said? Right. At Jarius, man, he was so caught up in the joy of his newborn daughter. He didn't even see the pain of this woman with the issue of blood. Seriously which is rejoicing with them that rejoice and to weep with those that weep. They didn't even see each other at the hospital that day, but now all of a sudden, 12 years later, they see each other at the hymn of Jesus, and now the two twelves are meeting. Ooh, what are these twelves? These twelves teaching us 12, 12, 12 year old girl this time, 12 year old disease, 12, 12, 12. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. How many know you don't have to be a Bible scholar, uh, you don't have to be a student in biblical numerology to know that there are some numbers in the Bible that God has given us biblical blues clues that these numbers are a big deal. I would agree. That, that's absolutely true. Twelve is one of those numbers, ladies and gentlemen. You remember that Jacob had twelve sons, twelve sons who he gave the birthright blessing that he received from his father Isaac and from his Isaac's father Abraham that created these twelve sons that had power and authority. Those twelve sons became the twelve tribes of Israel. That is the power and authority that God gave the nation of Israel. You remember when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to represent the people of God. He would walk in the Holy of holies with power and authority but on his chest would be the 12 stones it's representing the 12 tribes of israel power and yeah the breastplate yes authority come on you remember when our high priest jesus one day was teaching in a temple at 12 years old and they marveled at his preaching and said we have never heard anybody preach with such power and authority you remember when jesus turned 30 and got ready to pick his crew his road dogs he picked 12 people and said i'm giving you the same power and authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick 12 road dogs is the number of power and authority. What is Jesus? Uh, yeah, that was, that's bad. That's really bad. No, 12 is not the number of power and authority. He, ex he eisegeted that into his telling of the significance of the 12 tribes and the 12 road dogs.
trying to teach us with these twelves. He's trying to teach us what he's been telling us all throughout the gospel of Mark. Jesus is saying, I don't care whether it's paralysis or leprosy or a demon or a disease or a blinded eye or a deaf ear or even death itself. I don't care what the issue is. There is nothing that is out of the jurisdiction of my power and my authority. That's what the twelve is teaching us. Uh, no. Why don't we go along these lines? Jarius is a what? Synagogue ruler. Mm-hmm. Kind of, if you would, typologically a stand-in for the Old Covenant. This woman who suffered for 12 years under a scourge. Uh-huh. Yeah. Maybe I think typologically she could be a stand-in for those who are forgiven in the New Covenant. You see, the Old Covenant, this woman is cast out. She is marginalized. She is unclean. She cannot be part of the worship community. Community, But under the new covenant, Jesus, having been scourged for her, forgives her, heals her, and restores her. So I think if you're going to play with the numbers 12 here, I think you need to pay closer attention to the immediate reference within the immediate context and note that if you're going to work with these numbers, you're going to have to point out that one kind of is old covenant. The other is new. In the new covenant, there is no command to ostracize women who have an issue of blood and they are no longer considered unclean. They are forgiven and made clean by the blood of Christ. See, you can work with that. But what he's doing here, yeah, boy. Oh, there's power and authority. Hear me. Your awareness of God's power and authority will determine what you receive from him. Your uh, what? Awareness of God's power and authority will determine what you receive from him. There is power in the twelves. Okay, this is going to blow your mind and this is going to make you shout and weird you out all at the same time. I'm, I'm studying this text and the power of the twelves. And I'm watching the news, watching the news with Hurricane Harvey. I begin to find out, watching this news story, that Hurricane Harvey, hear me, hit on the 12th anniversary of Katrina. That's what we call the reading of omens, strictly forbidden in Scripture. They're interviewing this woman who was in Katrina, who was in New Orleans when Katrina hit, and moved to Houston. And now being in Houston got hit the second time 12 years later. She said, this is desperate. She said, I'm not going to lie. I've lost a lot and it's a hopeless situation. She said, but I know I'm going to come back stronger because I came back stronger from the first storm. I didn't think I was going to make that storm, but I came back stronger from that one. So I know even... So now we're isogating the 12-year period between... Katrina and Harvey and sticking it into this. Again, note here that heresy hurricane season, which has now begun, begins with a heresy regarding hurricanes. <laughs> and there seems to be more than one way of doing that. It looks bad right now. I know I'm going to be able to survive what's facing me. Come on, somebody. You want to know why you can still stand? Why you still here? Come on, the enemy's hit you before, but you're still standing. You're still here. Yeah, the, this has nothing to do with this text. Ooh. Your awareness of God's power and authority will always determine what you receive from him. 
Every time- yeah, that's not what this text says, and that's some weird legalism. Yeah, you better up your awareness and up your desperation. <sighs> heard this text preached. It's always been a lesson about faith. Always been a lesson about faith, and faith is important. Come on, faith is a... Right, yeah, considering it was the woman's faith that healed her, right? The things hoped for. And Jesus said to Jairus, do not fear, only believe... Yeah, that's the verb form in Greek of this noun for for faith. Yeah. Evidence of things not seen. Faith is important. Faith is our anchor. However, every anchor. Yeah, notice the however. Got to be tied to something. Yeah, I agree. My faith, watch this, is tied to his authority. No. No, 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 no. My faith is tied to him. You see, you need to have faith in something or someone. My faith is not in something abstract like, quote-unquote, Jesus' authority. My faith is in Jesus. See the difference? And there is a huge difference. Very huge difference. Authority of his word, the authority of his power. If you don't know his authority, you're going to struggle with faith. No, if you don't know him, you're going to struggle with faith. This is why when the disciples were on the boat and they were freaking out because Jesus was taking a nap in the middle of their hurricane. And they said, don't you care that we're about to perish? And Jesus gets up and preaches a three-point sermon and says, peace, be still. And the hurricane got slain in the spirit. And all of a sudden they look at him and say, who who is this man that even... Uh, The hurricane got slain in the spirit. Wow. Winds and the waves obey him. And he looks at them and says, you of little bitty faith. Why didn't you have faith? Because you didn't know the power of my authority. If you really knew my authority. No, no, no. Jesus wasn't talking, pointing to the power of his authority. Jesus was pointing to himself. You would have watched me sleeping and you would have said, who is this man that can sleep in the middle of a hurricane? If this is not stressing him out, it's not going to stress me out. Jesus, scoot over. Let me get me a pillow too. I'm going to rest because you were Oh, come on, somebody. I'm not going to stress out because you're not stressing out. Your awareness of his authority will determine how much you receive from him. I got to hurry. No text says that. Jairus. We're never told to have faith in his authority. We are told to have faith in him. Watch this. Got a house call from Jesus because that was his awareness of his authority. He was a pastor. So that's how he approached Jesus and a Pentecostal pastor. He said, Jesus, I want you to come to the house. He told him what to do. He said, come to the house. Here's what you're going to do. The worst team going to play and you're going to lay hands because that's how healing works. That's how I view your authority. This woman said, no, I don't even need a house visit. I just got to touch the hem of your garment. That is my awareness of your authority. I just want to touch the bottom of your clothes. And she got her healing. Let me back that thing up to a centurion who said, Jesus, I got ridiculous radical Red Bull faith. He said, you ain't even got to come to my house. He said, I'm a man in authority and under authority. Just speak the word and my servant who is not even in your presence will get healed. The centurion got a healing without Jesus being in the proximity 
because he understood his authority. Your awareness of God's authority will determine how much you receive from him. Because you understand that if I doubt the supremacy of your authority, I will doubt your word. I mean, you've been there before. You ever been to an establishment of business or on the phone with a company and you know you're talking to a mid-level employee and they are telling you something that is contradictory to good customer service and what do you tell them? After you get frustrated, ah, let, let me speak to your manager. Let me speak to your supervisor. I was in a hotel a couple weeks ago and the lady behind the desk told me they don't have any more rooms in the hotel. And I had to get a little gangster. I stayed safe. But I said, can I please speak to your manager? I said, I got a reservation. The manager said, don't worry, baby, move. And the manager started typing some stuff. and said, sir, we have your own. And got me an executive suite. How in the world did I go from about to be on the street to an executive suite? Because somebody with some real authority started pushing some buttons and making some things happen. Oh, I pray you get so agitated with what the enemy is doing to you that you say, I need to speak to the manager. I need to speak to somebody that's got some power and authority to do something. That's what the women with issue of blood did. She said, for 12 years, I've been speaking to mid-level employees. I got to speak to the manager. I got to speak to the supervisor. Yeah, no, that's not right at all. She believed in Jesus. She trusted him. She touches the hem of his garment. Now watch this. This is a moment of frustration because her miracle interrupted Jairus. Don't forget who got to Jesus first. Jairus did. Come on. I mean, he got there first and she interrupted his miracle. So here's how I see it in my mind. You know, Jairus was probably leading Jesus. Saying, Jesus, come on, hurry up now. You know, it's a crowd. Hurry up. Jesus, keep up with me. Keep up with me now. You got to get to my house. My daughter's sick. Hur Jesus, hurry up. Don't stop. Da -da. And he looks back and Jesus is stuck in the crowd. And he's got to go back and watch Jesus ask the ridiculous question, who touched me? a crowd full of people and sit there and watch Jesus talk to this woman and take his precious time when I told him it was an emergency situation and you down here having coffee with her. Didn't I tell you? It was an emergency. Don't act like you ain't never been there before. Have you ever told Jesus this is an emergency situation and he's sitting up here having coffee with somebody and asking her the details of her? Just heal her and let's go. Sitting there having to wait. Peter, you always running your mouth. Why don't you tell your boy to hurry up? And isn't that frustrating? To not just wait on your miracle. What do you do when you have to wait on your miracle and watch somebody get theirs? Oh. That's a weird, frustrating place. Uh, I am, yeah, wow. This is, I'm, I'm speechless at the moment. This is so bad. To be waiting on your miracle, watching somebody getting their miracle, and you're trying to be happy. Uh, <laughs> praise him. You all, yeah. Hallelujah. 
It's funny. But not when it's you. Waiting to get married. Watching people walk down the aisle. Waiting to have a child. Watching people post pictures of their little baby walking. Waiting to get healed. And watching other people jump over their healing. And I found that sometimes God will let you watch a miracle while you're waiting on your miracle. Not to discourage you. He's not sadistic. But to encourage you. To let you know that if God did it for them, then I know he can do it. I'm glad you finished my sentence. Because I love preaching the Bible about church folks. Because I said that sentence, that cliche on purpose. Because there's an ideology attached to that cliche. And I say, if God did it for me, if God did it for me, I know he can do it for you. There's an ideology behind that. That says he's going to do it, but in the same way. So if you got a house, I'm going to get a house too. In the same neighborhood and with the same square footage. And Jesus, I'm going to measure, so keep it even. Often, what? He will not do it in the same way. Because watch this. Jairus wanted what she wanted. A healing. Jairus didn't get a healing. He got a resurrection. Which is powerful. That'll make you shout. Talk about putting that on your resume. Resurrected. That's awesome. Until you remember that the prerequisite for resurrection... It's death. So imagine how Jairus' heart dropped. While he's healing the woman, people from the house come up and say, Hey, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Here's why I found out. Worship team joined me because I had to hurry. Here's why I found out that Jairus has horrible friends. Not because they told him that his daughter was dead, because that was her condition. My annoyance with his friends is their commentary after what they said. They said, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? I'm using that voice because that's how I hear them because they're annoying. How in the world are you going to tell me to not bother him anymore? How in the world, when it's not your daughter, you're going to tell me that... Yeah, the expectation is that Jesus can heal. They've seen him do that. Notice how early on this is in the Gospel of Mark. This is a whole different thing. I mean, they understand that Jesus can heal, but um, to believe that Jesus can actually raise people from the dead... Yeah, um, that's a whole different expectation, a whole different level, if you would. And uh, they hadn't seen any reason to believe that Jesus can do that, at least yet. To give up at this moment and notice they didn't know his authority because they said, don't bother the teacher, (laughs) not the miracle worker, not the one that has power. They just saw him as a teacher. No wonder they couldn't see. No, they knew he was a miracle worker because otherwise Jairus wouldn't have come to hear you know to him for a healing 
the stories had already gotten out about Jesus, about how he had literally uh, given the ability for a crippled, a paralytic to walk again. That's in the scriptures prior to this chapter. So the stories about Jesus' ability to heal are already out. The hope in the situation. Don't bother the teacher anymore. That's when Jesus speaks up for Jairus. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience. He looks at him and says, hey, 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 don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Allow me to use my imagination in the text. I think that up until this point, Jairus was leading Jesus. Jesus, keep up. Come on. No, no, don't stop. Come on. Once he found out his daughter was dead, I think he was so dazed by the death that Jesus had to start leading him. He said, Jairus, come on. Come on. Come on. Don't, don't lose your hope now. Come on. Keep walking. Jairus, don't give up. Don't be afraid. Come on. And Jairus is walking like, why are we going back to the house? She's dead. This is over. It's the end. Why, why we want Jesus? How you know where I live? And he keeps following Jesus. Get to the house. Watch Jesus' authority. He says, all of you crowd, stay back there. Peter, James, John, Roll with me. And walk into the house. I don't know why it took Peter, James, and John. I don't know. If I wasn't Peter, James, and John, I would be feeling some type of way. <laughs> um, well, in order for something to be validated, you need at least two witnesses. Jesus took an extra. That I got to stay out here and they get to go in. How many know sometimes when you need a breakthrough, you got to leave some people that you love, that you care about. If you need a breakthrough, you got to leave some people. That is not what this text is saying. This is about what I'm going, what I'm doing, and where I'm going. I don't know why I took Peter, James, and John. I do know that Peter was a leader. John was a lover. James was the first martyr. I'm thinking if I'm about to raise somebody from the dead, give me somebody that can lead boldly, somebody that can love deeply, and somebody who ain't never scared to die anyway. That's who I might want with me in the room. But I don't know. I don't know why it took them. They get in the room. They get in the house. Now, I love this music y'all playing, but I'm going to have you help me real quick and just pause real quick. Because I want to show you the environment that Jesus walked into. Because when you think of a funeral, or a dead situation, you think of funerals today with the music you were just playing. Play just, just that soft, you know, little. Just everybody's real quiet. But that was not the culture of the climate of funerals then. Can I tell you what it was like then? In that time period, when you walked into a funeral, people would be playing music, all kinds of different notes at the same time. Reading Luke's gospel, flute, different notes. Can y'all just play different notes? Just play whatever. Let the spirit lead you. Just pray loud now place just crazy stuff this is what jesus is walking into okay then in that culture at a funeral the louder you got and well that means you really cared about the person so be, ah, Lord, it was too soon. keep on playing ah, Lord, it was too soon. 
they would also rip their clothes. That's why I wore these jeans today. <laughs> Had different laws about how you rip it. This is the climate that Jesus is walking to. Now watch this. They also had paid mourners, people that they would pay, and their only job was to cry. They they would cry for money. That's the climate. So it was to their benefit that this girl was dead. This was free. But watch out for people in your life who are benefiting from your dysfunction. I, I, wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm just struggling here. This is so bad. I mean, the details are correct. The narrative theologically that he's woven around the details is false. Uh, Here they are faking a cry and Jesus is real and real recognizes real. And he steps in the situation and says, Hey, Why all this commotion? The girl is not dead. She's asleep. And when he said that, the people that were crying, "Ah, ah," started laughing. You know you're crazy. And your cry is not real. When you go from crying to "Ah," (laughs) laughing, you go ahead and play softly now. Give me the good music back. They started laughing. Jesus said, oh, you think that's funny? Uh Oh, that's funny. That's funny to you that I said she's not dead, she's asleep. It's funny to you because you think that death is permanent. And you know that sleep is temporary. And the reason you're laughing is because you don't understand the jurisdiction of my authority. The reason I can look at a situation that everybody else has said is over, that everybody else has said is dead, that everybody else has said give up on the marriage, give up on your finances, give up on your child, that situation. Give up on your marriage, give up on your finances. Yeah, this text isn't about that. Is dead because I have all power and authority. I can look at situations that other people have called permanent, and I can say, No, that is not permanent. That is not a period. That is just a comma. She is not dead. She is asleep. Yeah, you, you do understand he's God in human flesh, and it's about faith in him, trusting him, believing in him. If somebody's asleep, they can get up. He said, so since you think it's funny, I got some news for you. Get out. Somebody say, get out. Oh, come on. Say it like you got some power. Say, get out. Oh, come on. Say it like you want the enemy to hear you say it. Say, get out. He's like, since you think it's funny and you're trying to mess up the atmosphere of what I'm doing in this place. Trying to mess up the atmosphere. I think Jesus uh, was messing up their morning atmosphere, yeah? Unbelief always laughs at the language of faith. Since you think it's funny, I'm not saying you you can't laugh, but you just can't laugh in here. Get out. Somebody say, get out. Oh, the Bible says he put some of them out. Just get, get out. After he told them to get out, then he told her to get out. I don't know what situation in your life you need to get up. And I believe God told me to preach this message. 
really, God told you to twist this story in this way? I don't think so. To tell you to check the atmosphere and the environment around you. So, so God told us to check the atmosphere around us. Okay. I'm in my pirate cave. I'm in a pirate atmosphere. And before that thing can get up, come on, somebody say it with me. Say, get out. Come on, would you give our God some praise in this place today? What am I praising him for again? Oh, come on, you could do better than that. Would you give our God some praise? Now I got to get my praiseometer up to the right level, too. Come on, this is your Sunday for hopelessness to get out, for fear to get out, for worry to get out, for insecurity to get out, for anxiety to get out, for depression to get out. Everything around your miracle that's stopping it from coming forward. Somebody say, Yeah, all the things that are stopping your miracle, you got to get them out because that's apparently what the mourners represented. They were trying to stop this girl's resurrection. No, they weren't. Get up. Some things have got to get out. No, that's an invalid application. Father, thank you today. Done. Yeah, I think you get the point. Wow, great text bad sermon how did he mess it up so badly because <laughs> he thinks it's about you and he thinks that uh, you've got to find an application that you need to obey so he invented his own laws that you're supposed to obey in order to get the miracle like you know Jairus did and this woman did yet each of them had faith had faith in Christ and he being God in human flesh, heard their pleas and cries for mercy and had mercy, came from heaven to save them. That's really what this story is about. Too bad they didn't see that. Were people called to repent of their sins, trust in Christ, to believe in him? No. They were called to cast people out so that they would stop blocking their miracles so that their miracle would come. And that's not what this text is about. So what do you think? Would love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Fire Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>